The fear of our past, dragging all our previous transgressions around, that can easily mess us up when God calls us to do something for Him. We'll see that with Moses today. And Pastor Daniel will also share about his own fear and doubts when he was first called to the ministry. There's a beautiful hope and assurance to be found, though. And it's in the strength and faithfulness of God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, The Calling and Excuses of Moses. see five excuses that Moses is going to give to not have to live out his calling. Five excuses. Now, I'm going to challenge you all the way through because I guarantee in this room, all of us are giving God either all of these or at least a few of them to not step in to what God has called you to and what God is calling me to. Now, what's interesting about these five excuses is that each one of these excuses, what Moses wants is certainty. He wants to know that he knows that he knows that everything is going to work out the way he expects it to. Moses wants certainty. And you know what? God never gives him certainty. God actually says, I'll be faithful. Moses wants intellectual certainty. God says, I'll give you fidelity. I'll give you faithfulness. And the difference, we want, let's be honest, we want certainty more than we want faithfulness because certainty is flat, it's intellectual, it's this and this. God says, no, no, I know you want it flat, intellectualized out. I'm going to give you a relationship of faithfulness. And guess what happens with relationships? They're messy, aren't they? They're not flat at all. They have nooks and crannies, highs and lows. And as we read the Bible together on these Wednesday nights, as we go through the whole of Scripture, you're going to see the faithfulness of God, the fidelity of God. But some days he's sending them to exile. Some days he's bringing them back from exile. Some days he's lavishing blessings. And other days he's withholding blessings because they can't really receive the blessings in a way that God would want them to. So in each one of our lives, you have to ask yourself, am I not, am I making excuses because I want certainty that God won't give me But what really God is offering is his faithfulness in the process. And this is exacerbated in our culture because our culture thrives on certainty. I mean, we can sue a car company if they tell us that we're going to get 31 miles per gallon when we buy the car, and it comes out to be 29 miles a gallon. We had a certain number, and now you owe us. Our culture thrives on certainty. And we want that spiritually, but God never gives us certainty. He gives us faithfulness, fidelity. 
So Moses' issue is he wants certainty, and God keeps saying, look, I'll give you my faithfulness. So as we see, I've called this message the calling and excuses of Moses. And I believe that in this room, for all of God's children, God has called all of us. And all of us are great at making excuses. So my prayer is that as we see Moses, that we learn from the admonition. And for some of us today, we say, God, I'm sorry that I'm making that excuse of Moses. And Lord, I'm going to trust you in your fidelity, in your faithfulness. And you guys know, I'm going to ask all of you to take bold steps of faith with the Lord. Because isn't that what it's really all about? We walk by faith and not by sight. So let's jump in. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a land, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh and you, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, notice this. Because Moses is going to get into his excuse right now. Remember what we said in the book of Genesis. It's always about God, the people, and the land. Right? We saw that right in Genesis. Notice we see it again. He says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have seen what's going on with my people because of their taskmasters. And I'm going to deliver them. And I'm going to deliver them where? Into a land. A good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which speaks of plenty, blessings in that culture. It wasn't like where we live today where you just go into Freddie Myers and you can get as much honey and milk of whatever sort you want. It's not like that back then. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have uh, factories of honey. None of that stuff. So when he said a land flowing with milk and honey, they're like, whoa. That'd be like the equivalent of like having a, walking into a land and there's just, um, I don't know, bacon cheeseburgers everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. And you couldn't get heavy on them. I mean, it'd be awesome. Or if you're, if you're a vegetarian, there's tofu everywhere. You know, whatever your thing is. That's, that's the equivalent. Or for me, it'd be Ben and Jerry's everywhere. That's my, you know, mm. So you have God, you have the people, and then you have the land. I want you to notice a few things really quickly. Notice, God says this. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian to bring them up to the land. God comes down to bring his people up. God came down to do what? To bring his people up. Jesus didn't come down so that we stay down. He came down so that we go up with him. That's the purposes and plans of God. God came down, in this case, came down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians to bring them up to a good land. And that's exactly how God always works. He comes down so that we can go up. But we cannot go up without him. 
And that's the lie of a kind of self-help culture. Yeah, you can change your behaviors, but you can't change your heart. You can get yourself out of a bad situation, but it's not going to change your heart. And it's not going to bring you up. Only God coming down and taking us by the hand and bringing us up. So you have God, the people, and the land. And notice, he ends in verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There's the calling of Moses right there. He's like, buddy, you, you're going to go. And he already said he's going to do it, but Moses is going to be his instrument. And now the five excuses begin. Look at the first one, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. This is the question of, Lord, who am I? It's the fear of yourself. How many times has God knocked on the door of someone's heart? They say, but Lord, look at what I've done with my life. I mean, who am I to get to do this? And you know what? It's not a bad question, but it's the wrong question. Because God already said he wanted to do this and he just wanted Moses to be the instrument. It really has nothing to do with Moses. And brothers, sisters, let me tell you something. What God is calling you to do really has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what God wants to do. And God is looking for somebody to simply say, okay, Lord. Like the naivety of a child to not reflect enough to think yourself out of it. So the first excuse is the fear of yourself. Who am I? How could I do this? And listen, I know this really well because, I mean, a lot of you know my story. I got saved as a senior in college. I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. And on the day that I got saved, I mean, man, I mean, I was out there. If, if I did a bragamony of my life, we'd be here longer than we're normally here when I'm teaching. And it's, and I mean, and it's, it's juicy and nasty. And I remember when God called me into the ministry. I'll never forget this. He called me into the ministry, and then I ended up as an intern in a church. And I was just like, God was doing this work. And then the pastor was like, look, I want to ordain you and make you a pastor in this church. I'm like, I took that. I'm like, are you nuts? Seriously. He's like, no, no, God has got his hand on your life. And I realize you have a pastor. You've shared some of that stuff with me. And, but God's got his hand on your life. God wants to use you. He's like, but before we can do anything, you need to go before the elders. And I'm like... Because I know what I've done. And God knows what I've done, but nobody else knows all of it. And I remember all week, all week, I just felt sick to my stomach. And that's not me normally. Like, I'm pretty happy most of the time. But I, I, I couldn't even eat. I mean, imagine that. And like, I, like, every time I'd see one of these elders, I'm just like... And I remember I went in the day before my interview and I said to my pastor, Pastor John Henry, I just can't do it. I, I cannot stand before those guys. He's like, Daniel, why? I'm like, because you, I know what I've done. I can't, I can't be a pastor. And my pastor, John Henry, he's Irish. He'll come up here one of these days. You'll love this guy. He looked at me down his little specks and he said, well, Daniel, if God has forgotten your sin, who are you to remember it any longer? And the waterworks just hit. Because I'm like, he's right. If God has taken your transgression and separated as far as you as the east is from the west, then who are you to remember it anymore? 
And I remember on that day, I said, God, I'm never going to let all the dumb things that I do hold me back from what you're calling me to. And I went into that meeting, and I cried in that meeting. And I told these six elders everything. I gave them the, I'm like, look, I've done this. I've done this. I just wanted them to tell me that they couldn't hire me. That would have made me very happy at that juncture. I just, I laid it out, and they said, Daniel, we know that you've been around the block, but you know what? God's got his hand on you, and we all see it. And God's called you. We want to hire you. I'm like, you guys are taking a big chance. They're like, yeah, but it might pay off. And I was like, yeah, it might also blow up in your face too, buddy. But hey, you're the elders, you know. And I I just share that with you because I am sure, I am so sure you either in here, listening online, on the radio, wherever you're hearing this, you're thinking to yourself, God has called you to something. You're like, who am I, Lord? I'm all messed up. Not a bad question. It's the wrong question. Because God doesn't need you. God wants to do a work. He's just looking for an available vessel who will just show up. Moses gets used despite himself. As is everybody in the Bible. Save Jesus Christ alone, who is God incarnate, who was used because of who he was. All the rest of us were used despite ourselves. And God wants to use you despite you. So stop making, who am I? You're nobody. And so am I. And so is the whole line of God's people, but God is someone. And that's how God responds. Because look at what God says in verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I like that. He's like, who am I, Lord? He's like, look, I'll be with you. His reply is, I'm going to help you. I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to give you a sign of fulfillment. Notice, God speaks so confidently about what he's going to do. Look at what it says in verse 12. When you have brought the people out of Egypt. Not if, not Moses, if you can hang in there long enough. When you bring them out, you're going to worship right here on this mountain. See, that's the faithfulness of God. He doesn't say, Moses, you're going to fall apart. A lot in this process. None of that stuff. He says, look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to guide you. And guess what? When I do what I already decided I want to do that I want to use you for, you're going to be right back here again worshiping with the rest of the people. So brothers and sisters, listen. If God has called you, no matter who you are, no matter what you're freaked out about about yourself, God's going to be with you. And God will help you. And God will guide you. And whatever God wants to accomplish, he will accomplish despite if we show up there or not. But he wants us to show up. He's called us. So the first excuse, done. Nothing you can do with it. It's not about us. It's about God. Look at the second excuse, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses didn't get off the hook with, Who am I? So now he's... His excuse is, who are you? It's the fear of not knowing God enough. And let's be honest. How many of us do not step out? I just don't know enough. I don't know enough. I don't know God well enough. What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? Isn't that the biggest excuse for not sharing our faith with other people? What if they stump me? I always say the same thing. Getting stumped in evangelism is the best thing that can happen. You know why? Because then you say, you know, that's a great question. And I don't know the answer to that. But can we talk about this again next week? 
you got a follow-up conversation. I mean, that's a net win. That's a net win. And in the week before you meet them again, you get to grow and learn. So, so many of us do not step out to do what God's called us to because we're like, Lord, I don't know you well enough. And Moses like, if they ask me who you are, what do I say? Notice it's the if questions, the what ifs. It's amazing when you read the narrative, they never once asked Moses who the God who sent them was. Not one time. And doesn't the what if kill us? The what if could happens. I mean, God wants us to step out in faith and we run through this, just a litany of could happens, what ifs. And by, by the time you're done, you're freaked out. You don't even know if you're saved, right? Because it's like, what if, what if, what if? And before you know it, we're all frazzled. But the what ifs almost never happen. It's just our way of getting off the hook to being the people that God has called us to be. It's just an excuse. Who are you, Lord? They never ask him the question. And notice how God responds. Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. There it is right there. You know what's amazing when you ask God who he is? He tells you. That's the beauty of God. When you say, God, I want to know you, he says, okay. Okay. Who am I going to say? He says, look, I am who I am. In the Hebrew, echye, asher, echye. I am who I am. This speaks of power, presence, and faithfulness. It's beautiful. It's literally just the first person singular of the verb to be and the relative pronoun of who. That's all it is. Notice, I am who I am. It's an active verb. It's not passive. And it speaks of God's action in the midst of this. In the Hebrew, it's normally characterized by what they call the tetragrammaton. It's four Hebrew letters put together. A, a yud, which is a y, a hey which is an H, a vuv, which is a V, but we normally use it as a W, and then uh, a hey again, it's the H. So Y-H-W-H or V-H. Now, what's interesting is because of the third commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain, the Jewish people never really said his name. So they would say Hashem, which is literally the name, because they didn't want to take his name in vain. So historically... It originally came down to us as the word Jehovah, which is actually taking those four Hebrew letters and using the vowel pointings of the word Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord. So if we're a servant, he's the master. So he took the the consonants of I am who I am and put the vowel pointings of the word Lord. You get Jehovah, which is where your King James Bible gets it from. But most scholars would say now that the proper translation would be Yahweh. And so anytime in your Bible, your English Bible, you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the personal name of God, the I am who I am. And when God says, I am who I am, you know what that means? He is who he is. That's what it means, that God is God. God is not what we make him. God is not what we say, hey, I like this part of God. No, God is who God is. 
One commentator said it this way, I am truly he who exists and who will be dynamically present then and there in the situation to which I am sending you. That's a great amplification of I am who I am. I am truly he who exists and who will be dynamically present then and there in the situation to which I am sending you. And that's true for Moses, and that is true for us as well. And don't miss, if you're a critical or a thoughtful Bible reader, when you read the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is different from every other Gospel because the Gospel of John is centered around seven I am statements of Jesus that are precipitated by a miracle, an I am statement, and then Jesus' discourse on it. That's how the Gospel of John is broken down. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, before Abraham was, I am. I am the door of the sheep. I am the vine. All those I am statements, in that context, they're like, oh, oh, I know what you're saying. You're saying, you're the I am. Oh, okay. When we need to know God, God reveals himself to us. So he says, this is who I am. And then it goes on to say, notice what it says here in verse 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, for the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt and all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So notice, he says, I want you to go talk to the elders, tell them what is happening, tell them that it's time for them to leave Egypt, I'm going to deliver them. And it's amazing, because really this is a prophecy of all that's going to happen in the next bunch of chapters in the book of Exodus. He asked the, the king of Egypt that the people would go, He says no. God brings plagues upon him until finally he goes. And ultimately, in the end, the children of Israel plunder the Egyptians. Not because they stole it all, but they actually gave it to them. Jesus is real. Today, we asked ourselves the question Who am I that God could use me? We found that the answer is nobody, but God can use us mightily because he'll be with us. Whatever our doubts, God is confident in what we can accomplish for him. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible, 
Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will take us through the rest of Moses' excuses about why God should find somebody else. God will assure Moses that he'll be faithful to complete his work. Moses' imperfections are nothing. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled The Passover. Until then, may God bless.